0: Welcome to Werewolf the podcast, a retrospective podcast about Werewolf: The Apocalypse.
1: Imagine. Imagine Atlantic City. Imagine HLGcon. The boardwalk, the beach, the hotels, the casinos. Imagine an old hotel, renovated, restored, open to the public in a way it never was before. Now imagine a series of quirky, intense, and interesting event rooms. Imagine the coolest bar you've ever wanted to host a LARP in. And that's the Showboat. HLGCon is happening October 12th through the 14th of 2018 in the Showboat Hotel and Resort in Atlantic City. We'll have LARP, tabletop, board games, and more. We've struck a deal with several LARP studios to run a blockbuster LARP, Pandemonium, that will be unlike any other event in 2018. Find us on the web at hlgcon.com. Come join us. Imagine it. And we'll make it a reality. Welcome to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. I am your host, Josh Heath, and the first thing I want to do is apologize for the review that we literally just barely published. I published it probably two or three seconds ago, and you're probably gonna be listening to this a week or so later, but I would like to say I actually reviewed a book totally out of order and And the reason I did so is because I got it confused with another book. So we reviewed Rage, Warriors of the Apocalypse, and the book we should have reviewed was Who's Who Among Werewolves, the Geru Saga. And I'll be honest, I don't have that book. I haven't picked it up yet, and I might go back and review it. But since I've never heard anyone mention it, I might not also. It's probably a great book, I have no idea. But for today, for right now, we are going to start reviewing Tribe Book Get of Fenris, the very, very first version of this Tribe Book. And I have to preface this entire review by saying, I absolutely despise this book, and there are multiple reasons why. And none of them are because the writers are not good. The writers did a good job writing. I appreciate that their art should be taken on the merits of the art. And I do think that is something to consider as I eviscerate this book that I think is utterly terrible. And it's utterly terrible for layers of reasons. One... Full disclosure, so people know, I am a heathen religiously. That means that I am a worshiper of the of the ancestors that I have and of the gods of Northern Europe. So that includes Germany, uh, that includes the English Isles or the British Isles, particularly the Anglo-Saxon deities, and Scandinavia. My particular type of heathenry is mostly focused in anglo-saxon but includes elements of the hearth culture that um, that is represented in the group that I am a member of which is fairly normal you usually have what we call few or culture um, particular tribal ways of doing things that are different in every heathen group and I'm giving you all of this background that probably large portions of folks are not going to care anything about. To say that I know quite a bit about German and Scandinavian religious traditions, and those things do play a strong role in the Geta Fenris tribe. Specifically Fenris, the Fenris wolf is a reference to the Old Norse myth and the idea that uh, Tyr loses his hand to this wolf who is the son of Loki and is ultimately going to be the bane and destruction of the gods. So we have to recognize that a lot of the Get of Fenris concepts are tied up in that, but they are also sadly because this is the way they were written, tied up in concepts of white supremacy and specifically Nazism and fascism and concepts of Germanic superiority uh, that have its roots in complicated things, but particularly in the works that were bastardized of Nietzsche. I don't think Uh, Nietzsche himself, and I know I mispronounce his name, so please, if uh, that's a concern of yours, you can eviscerate me later on that, Um, but I cannot say it correctly. So Nietzsche, he has this concept of the Superman, the Ubermensch, and that got bastardized both by people in his lifetime and people later to reinforce the concepts that were at the center of the German Holocaust and the actions that the Nazis took and the German people accepted and the damage that was done to the various people in the Shoah, particularly, of course, the murder of six million Jewish people, the destruction, the genocide of... Roma people and gay people and handicapped people within the Second World War. And perhaps there should be a content warning at the beginning of this episode, but that's heavy stuff. And sadly, it's heavy stuff that is written to be important to the Geta Fenris mindset. And I reject all of that so wholeheartedly. I reject Nazis wholeheartedly, and I reject them within our game. And I'm going to tell you this right now. If you are a Nazi and you are a World of Darkness fan, I don't want you to be a Werewolf the Podcast listener. I don't. I don't want you here. You can go fuck right off. And I apologize if that offends anyone that is not a Nazi, but is offended by my usage of the words that I've used here. But I've got to tell you, I don't care. They don't belong in my community because they want to kill people. And that is not an ideology I am comfortable accepting existing next to me. I am not acceptable with it being twisted and pushed even slightly into our space, either for me religiously or for me in gaming. I don't want anything to do with people that have that as their ideology and think it's acceptable. So, with that in mind, we're going to review Tribe Book Get a The opening comic of Tribe Book Get a is a fight not between the Geta and non-Gaian werewolves, but between what it appears to be probably World War II, two different groups of Geta You have Geta that are on the Nazi side, and you have American Geta that are American citizens that are fighting against the, um, the Nazi regime. And clearly the way this is written is that the divide within the Geta Fenris is Fenris is largely going to be against the support of Nazism. That's how this comic is written. That's what I think you should take away from it. But then later parts of the book make me go, maybe that's not what they were trying to say. Maybe they were trying to say that there are... El- problematic elements of fascism on both sides of this tribe, regardless of where the particular members of the tribe are from. And maybe I'm giving it too much credit in that. And maybe it's not as deep as that. But I give James Moore, who's the main writer of this, a lot of credit. And I do feel that he would be the type of person that would want to find nuance to say that there are problematic parts of the Get Offenders tribe on both sides. But I also feel like, why did we have to lean so hard into those problematic elements just because they were connected with Germany and Scandinavia? That That seems like too... It seems ridiculous. I get it. You know, the idea of werewolves fighting for position and things like that, it seems to dovetail well with the violence of fascist tendencies. But at the same time, you could have had connections to Germanic concepts and Scandinavian concepts that were different, that leaned into. Different problematic parts, maybe even had parts of the tribe that were associated with that mentality, but to have the entire tribe focused on it, focused on this brohalla, faux Viking mentality, it's frustrating because one of the reasons that the Scandinavian countries are so socialist today is because the Norse people were communitarians, even during the Viking Age. The community, the people that you were from, were more important than anything else. In fact, Iceland, as a country, there was a law back in the 1300s that no person on the island could be without a home for a winter, and people were forced to take in homeless people over the winter. That's the type of mentality that is present in Scandinavia, and particularly, and most of Germany today. Yes, these things happened during World War II, but they were a blip on problematic elements in Germany in the grand scheme of German cultural tradition. And I say that not in any way to diminish those things that happened during World War II, but to say that if there's a tribe of werewolves, why would they be focused on that short period of history? They wouldn't be. They would be focused much more on deeper traditions and deeper cultural ties. And that gets into into some of what I said about the Fianna and try book Fianna where they were focused so much on the troubles and I'm like why like why would that be a driving thing for the Fianna to get into so we're however long into this recording and I haven't even really mentioned much about uh this book so we're going to get into that now by the numbers this book came out in 1994 and it was written by James Moore it, there was some research done by Keith Winkler, which I appreciate. I'm not sure exactly what research you did, Keith, but um, I'm glad that you did it. It probably helped with some elements of the book. It was developed by Bill Bridges. It was edited by Laura Perkinson. The art direction was by Richard Thomas, and uh, the comic book art was done by Ron Spencer, and interior art was done by Scar Studios, who are Steve Carter and Antoinette Ryder and Ron Spencer. The back cover art of this book was by Joshua Gabriel Timbrook.
0: Hello, folks. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts, or just media in general that deals with your favorite white wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded, One which wouldn't be drowned out by random posts and discussion so that your media could get the attention you want. Well, we have the answer for you in a Facebook group we run called White Wolf RPGs Gameplay and Media. The group is specifically ran with the sole intent of it being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. We are currently over 1,000 members strong, and we are continuing to rapidly grow with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there.
1: So this book is about 70 pages it's like all of the tribe books of this um, era it's not huge on its own but it is uh, compiled in the litany of the tribes book and this is in volume two and you've got the introduction you've got um, three different chapters and three different appendices. appendices so the first one is storm and doom or sturm und dom in Deutsch in German. So you get the history of the tribe as written by the, the Fenrir. And it pulls in, as I mentioned, it pulls in elements of Norse myth, pulls in elements of uh, German myths and history, and it does so deeply and weakly. And it's kind of all over the place. It does mention the Iron Age it goes back fairly deeply into the Roman invasions into um, the areas, uh, you know, of Germania and um, Britain and things like that. It talks about Grendel, and it references that as a story of the mythic age and coming from the Geta Fenris. And on the surface, I don't have a problem with these things. And of course, you have the Viking era, which is a large segment of this. And again, I don't have a direct problem with that. I think it makes some sense that there is a bit of tie into the Viking era and the Viking mythos because the tribe is the Fenrir, the Get of Fenris. They have a connection with a being who is pretty central in lots of ways to Norse mythology. So that makes sense. And then it talks about uh, the way it's written is the rifts. And this is right after the binding of Fenrir, which happened right at the end of the Viking era uh, I- within this story. But it gets funky time frame wise. It's like, okay, wh- when are they talking about? That's a lot of time frame between that and World War One. And it seems to be talking about the dispersal, the the diaspora of German and Scandinavian people coming to America. But it's really, it's all over the place. And it's fine. But again, I see some weaknesses in this entire framing. And then we get into World War I and World War II. And there's this line, let's get this straight, the get are not racial bigots, we just don't like to see our kinfolk spread too thinly, and any heathen, I'm speaking to you folks for just a second, that has heard someone say almost exactly that, we know that that's just a cover for being a racist bigot bigot. You're saying I don't have a problem with other people as long as they don't get too close to me. Which is bullshit. And I don't understand why werewolves would give a flying fuck. And I understand there's this idea of pure breed within the game setting. But again that's about the werewolfness of people and the kinfolk problem and it's in all kinds of spaces that are super problematic about werewolf and there's so many things i love about werewolf but that is one of the things that drives me crazy because it's it's one it's so divorced from the original werewolf myths and it's it just makes you have to play into racial purity crap. And it's something I stay away from in my games because I don't want to dig into that. I don't, I don't think I've ever had, well, probably once or twice had a character have pure breed, but it's not something I've ever, ever asked my players to take. It's never something I've really wanted them to take. It's not anything I've ever given them a benefit, really, except for the mechanical ones that the rules spell out for doing so, because it's not a space I want to tell stories in. Um, This is the rant episode. This is the, oh gosh, the get are full of this kind of crap, through and through. And on the surface, because... I'm interested in all of the things the Get could potentially be, like, focused on. I would l- I would love to play the Get of Fenris, and I have played a couple of, of Fenrir, and I have some appreciation for the tribe as a whole, but it's just not... I just can't with the canon, particularly at this time. Um, so, yeah. There's the ranty rant. So the, the, the tribe really gets into that when you get into the various camps. And the camps start off with the Valkyria of Freya. Um, beyond the odd declination of the words there, you've got at least this idea that yes, women Geru within the Fenrir as long as they can do all of the other things a Fenrir can do, have the same level of respect. There's almost a feminism element there, but really it's a toxic masculine, as long as you're toxic masculine with us, you're okay, sort of thing. They're the Hand of Tear. And the Hand of Tear are justice elements within the Fenrir at this stage, they get better. I remember this particular um, camp from the revised book being something that I was like, oh, that's, uh, they're actually, you know, kind of interesting. Um, I, I could see that being a good thing for the Fenrir to have. Um, at this point, n- it's not enough to make me go, okay, that's, those are the groups of Fenrir that I would play. Um, You've got Mjolnir's Thunder. And it's like, I I kill, you kill, we all kill so far in these tribes. Like, who can kill the most? And it's like, did the Fenrir think of anything else other than killing and war? And they don't. And again, that's super reductionist. It's super reductionist about the Vikings, which the Fenrir are all, you know, supposed to be representative of. And it's reductionist, because Geru have to live within communities. They would care about things other than war if they're going to sustain their communities. Anyway. Ranty rant, 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 rant. So, the Fangs of Garm are the negotiators of the Fenrir. Uh, They're the ones that go out and seek other tribes and make connections, and... They have a little bit more friendliness. So they're there. They're again like, okay, I could potentially see myself playing that particular um, camp if I was interested in doing that. Then there are the Glorious Fist of Wotan. One, whenever you see Odin's name written as W-O-T-A-N or Wotan, which is... A historical way that his name was written in some places. But whenever you see that, in today's day, it's connected to racists in one form or another. And the fists want to restart the imperium on humanity. And it's written as sort of, you know, a connection to the red talons, the way of, of players maybe creating some linkages there and it's just again in space where I'm like do we have to go there but we get even farther down the rabbit hole and he pissing me off even more with the swords of Heimdall who are the racists and the misinterpretation of who Heimdall is within a heathen, within a Norse, within specifically Norse, because he's not necessarily found in other cultures as much, though Hama is the Anglo-Saxon version of Heimdall. The point is, there is no fucking way that Heimdall would ever have been comfortable with the outright racism of the Swords of Heimdall. It just doesn't make sense. And it's ridiculous that they exist as a camp. And it's re- ridiculous that that connection is there. And then, of course, there are two secret camps on top of all of that. The Emir Sweat, who are connected potentially to the group of Norse folks that came over to Vinland back around the year 1000, and may have left, uh, may have had physical relationships with Native Americans, which there's no proof of, even though there are a few myths about that um, within different groups. There's no evidence that the, f- um, that the Norse people that came over ever had anything resembling a pleasant interaction with the Native American peoples they interacted with. But if you wanted to dig into that, there could be some Garu that are connected to the Fenrir that were raised within Native American society. They give you that secret camp. And then there are the Loki smile, who, again, don't get me started on Loki and the misinterpretations of Loki as a as a figure within Norse mythology, because largely there's just gross misinterpretations of that and what that means and what Loki's presence meant. I'm going to digress for a moment to explain that. Loki is often viewed by people as a coyote-like character. He's a trickster deity for some. He is not. In the Norse myths where Loki appears... He is a representative of the dangers of accepting people that aren't connected to your family and your community and letting them into your inner circle and the dangers of that. And it's not saying anything about, oh, other groups of people are bad, but, oh, it can be dangerous to allow people in your community that you don't know and that you can't trust and you haven't build built a trusted relationship with <sighs> anyway they basically say that Loki is like the Shadow Lords here and that's just annoying as someone that likes the Shadow Lords and someone that knows anything about Loki but the various totems again connected to Norse myth and things like that. And there's a lot of runes here. There's discussions on the litany from the Fenrir's perspective and how they work. And again, if you can picture uh, the Vikings TV show and make them werewolves, you have about how the Fenrir are presented and their position on most things and how they interact with the Geru as a whole and the other elements of the world of darkness. The first appendix is called Sedar, or Sethar, and Sáth the practice of magic within a Norse context, it's not, it's not the right word to use here. Um, I'll just leave it at that. That said, there are some specific merits and flaws, one like alcohol tolerance, which is something that Garu already have. So I don't really understand why this is a thing here. But of course, you know, Vikings drink a lot. So they would have high alcohol tolerance, right? And then the first flaw, mixed heritage. Again, let's lean into that really far, won't we? And there are different rights and different gifts. And in the appendix, two you have different character suggestions. And these, I actually don't think the characters here are bad. This is the first time in this book I kind of go, well, okay, you're actually leaning away from the stereotypes that you're presenting in all of this. You've got the warmonger. Who is the stereotype of the Fenrir? But the rest of them, the Cairn protector, who's a um, a park ranger. Good concept. I like it. That could be interesting to play. There's some good stuff here, and then you get into the last appendix, which are the um, the legendary Fenrir, and th- of course they are they are as bad. Uh, they're not. I'm really like down on all of this, but they are the stereotypes that you would anticipate. They are um, based on everything that I've said here, so I can't recommend any of these legends or of those particular NPCs. But I wouldn't necessarily stray away from the suggested characters, the uh, the pre-made characters that are there. That might be something interesting for you to dig into. There's no way I'd recommend you get this particular book. The only reason I own it is because it's in Litany of the Tribes, Volume 2. The revised book is better. It does have some of these elements in it because the tribe is written from this angle. That's the problematic part of the Fenrir, is that ultimately they do represent issues of fascism and white supremacy within a werewolf context if you're comfortable digging into that and reflecting on it and fighting against it within your game context go ahead and do so i am sick and tired of it i believe that role-playing games are helpful tools for challenging the problems we have in our society. But I don't want to have people role-play white supremacists at my table most of the time, if ever. I just don't. I don't want to go to a LARP and have people... I have seen this. I have seen people psychile during a LARP. That was a long time ago, Thankfully. I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with people like that being around me. I don't want to deal with it. So I'm not going to. And I'm going to avoid games that play the Fenrir like that. Um, and in general, I'm going to avoid them as a tribe. Like I have done so for a while. Because they don't really, they don't really resonate with me. Because of the problems that I see um, amongst the tribe for me. That said... There are there's something that we've been doing in the different tribe episodes, and that is story hooks for the various tribes. So the story hooks that I would like to suggest for the Fenrir are this. There's a tribe, or there's a sept in Maine, around Blue Hill, Maine, and there are a group of Fenrir that run this small sept. And they have large connections to the kinfolk around the cairn. The cairn is set um, in a blueberry field. Blue Hill, Maine is named for the blueberries that grow there. They're very good blueberries if you ever get a chance to get up there and buy some. The The story hook that I'm suggesting here is that one of the kinfolk becomes corrupted, not necessarily directly by the worm, but he gets turned against his sept and against his people. And he is working against them slowly, maybe connecting with an outside pack and saying, leaving hints that the sept itself is unguarded, that the alpha is not doing his job correctly, which precipitates an intercept uh, war. Um, and he does it because he hates his family, because of the way they've treated them, uh, the way he's been raised. Uh, he's just sick and tired of their behavior. That's one story hook that you could use with a Fenrir. One that you could potentially dig into um, is the idea that a Garu, Came along with the Vinlanders, and though they didn't leave any children, because I think that plot—I don't like that plot—they did leave one of their um, one of their fetishes within Lonzo Meadows. And the characters have to recover this artifact. But of course, Lonzo Meadows has been excavated. And all of those things have been cataloged. And so the spirit of this fetish goes out and tries to find um, a way to get back to the Geru. And the Geru have to dig in and find a way to uncover this artifact. The last idea I'd have for the Fenrir as a story hook is perhaps, hmm, I need three. (laughs) And of course, this particular tribe, like I said, I've got some issues with, and I'm trying to stay within the parameters of this edition of them as well. Um, Perhaps the tribe, or perhaps the pack has a Fenrir within them who has a relative in Scandinavia that they have to meet. And there's a connection between the two of them that has been held throughout multiple um, reincarnations of their souls. And when they meet together... It helps kind of build up this prophecy that is ultimately going to lead to the success of the Fenrir within the Apocalypse or Ragnarok. And for some reason, the other Fenrir is killed before that meeting can happen, or they have to try and stop him getting killed before the meeting happens. Um, And they have a bare, like a small chance of succeeding. So that's potentially an option. This has been a review (laughs) of Get a Fenris, the tribe book for Get a Fenris. Um, I'm Josh Heath. If you've got problems with me from this review, you can leave a comment. You can leave a review. Um, I don't necessarily have any concerns about the reasons the writers wrote what they did for this tribe. I get it particularly in the 90s, there was this, a bit of the sense that we won't have to deal with Nazis again, which gods, I wish that was true. Um, sadly it's not as we all can tell, but if you have any questions, comments, or concern, you can leave them in all the different social media places you would do so. And I hope you come back next week and enjoy when we will be talking about Tribe Book Glasswalkers.